Welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Donald Miller. I'm joined by my co-host, J.J. Peterson. It's the special Olympic episode of Building a Story Brand podcast, if you cannot tell. special Olympic J.J. and I missed the cut again. I know. I know. Very frustrating. What did you go for? Curling. Curling, that's right. Yes, you know I love curling. I went for luge. Did you? Mm -hmm. Just point the toes and go. Yeah, it was the luge. They were afraid I was going to break whatever sort of thing, so it was the sort of oil up your body and go for it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh Anyway, it is the Olympics, and because it's the Olympic episode of the Building a Story Run podcast, we have, for the second time on this podcast, episode seven and episode like 87 uh-huh. is Scott Hamilton. Yes. Olympic skater Scott Hamilton, Nashville native, good friend of ours. We actually helped Scott a little bit write a book. We didn't help him write it. We helped yeah. him create a brand script that turned into a book called Finish First. Yeah. And that book is out. And we wanted to talk to Scott about this book. I love this book. Now, I am yeah. an Enneagram 3. You're yep. an Enneagram 2, two. with a 3 wing. Uh-huh. So I might be a 4 with a 3 wing. I might be a 3 with a 4 wing. But more and more, I'm starting to think I'm a 3. Yeah. I really love succeeding. And I think it's a driver that one of the reasons StoryBrand has done well, one of the reasons my books has done well, is because I'm wired this way. Mm-hmm. And if you are wired this way, then you, like me, keep looking for inspiration and tips and stuff that will also help you succeed. Yeah. His book, Finish First, offers this in droves yeah. and truckloads. And just amazing stories yeah. as well. Like Just like the funnest, coolest like inside moments of Olympic and world championship ice skating and... <sighs> yeah, and he's not My a guy, favorite. he'll tell you this in the interview, he's not a guy who was supposed to win. No. You know, he's not short, but he's shorter than the average he, ice no, skater. I'm, I'm going to say he's short, because I'm short, so I'm comfortable saying Scott's short. You know, when you admire somebody, you just forget. I remember oh, seeing a picture you. of my youth pastor when I was a kid, and he was short. Yes, I love And I remember seeing a that. picture of him, and I realized he was short. I yeah. never knew it in person. Because <laughs> so yeah. I looked up to him. Aww. And I look up to Scott, so I never think and of that one. But... I'd looked up a few more if you would have made the team. <laughs> if I would have made the curling team? Yeah. Because yeah. honestly, next I didn't Olympia. really have a shot. I know. But you had a shot, JJ. Always, because I have a dream, which means I have a shot. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. I, I actually, we could, like, I know we're stopping right now talking about curling. If anybody does want to, like, engage me in curling down the line, that's something that I would be really excited you about. You want to train? Yeah. Like, 100%. I'll tell you this about JJ. If you're out there and you're a curling coach and you're looking for your next great talent, <laughs> he will outwork anybody. I mean that. He will outwork anybody. And your footwork <laughs> is incredible. Footwork is amazing. It really is. Uh, anyway, I don't want to hijack this episode, but it really is like I've already got my recording schedule. I've looked like when things are going to be happening, what events are going to be happening. We all know this. If you know me at all, that I'm a huge Olympic fan and it's coming. It's here. I'm like... Olympics aside, I I start shaking. I want to know how to win. Oh, I guess so too. I want to know how to win. Yep. I wrote the foreword for the book. Yeah. And one of the things I said in the foreword is I've lived an okay life. I've had a lot of success. I've never finished first at anything. The highest (laughs) my book has ever been on the New York Times is four. Actually, I take that back. I was a number one Wall Street Journal. Yeah, you were. So I never realized I finished first. You did finish first. So the foreword is now not true. (laughs) But you wrote it before that happened. That's right. Since writing the foreword, I finished first for one week. Thanks, Scott. In an obscure paper in New York City. (laughs) And so Scott knows how to do it. And I just think the more time you spend with people 
who succeed, the better your chances of succeeding are. And I think yeah. books count for that. Yeah. It's also an honest book. It's not garbage. And by garbage, I mean, there are a lot of people who, you know, they work hard, but they've got a dad who handed them a bunch of money. They're wired in such a way that they're basically caffeine on crack. Yeah, on, yeah. You know, and you're not wired that way. Yeah. And then they point to these other things like, well, I just work hard. I pray a lot. Like, no, no, no. You work hard. You pray a lot. And you're wired this way. And your dad handed yeah, you yeah. a bunch of money. And you're whatever. This book doesn't have any of those trappings. He literally tells the truth about what it takes to win. And I trust. I believe him. Yep. From knowing him and from reading the book, I believe him. Anyway, the book is called Finish First. I want you to get it. Go on Amazon and grab it today. If it's February 5th, you're going to pre-order it. It's going to be to you in a few days. It comes out very soon. If it's after that you're listening to this, it's already out. Go grab the book. But let me encourage you to grab the book with this interview with Scott Hamilton. Scott, welcome back. Hey, it's great to be back. <laughs> Finish first. I'm holding in my hands. Isn't that crazy? The finished copy of your new book. I don't think I've been more excited in a couple of years about the release of any book. Wow. That's because... huge. Let me just I soak that in for just a second. You're telling me. <laughs> no, I, I'm dead serious. <laughs> no. I can't think of a book in recent history, at least the last couple of years, that I've been I've been waiting for this book for more than a year, close to two years. Well, it's all your fault. Well, you and I sat in this room, because <laughs> yeah. you and I go back a little bit, and we talked about you were going to do a TED Talk, mm -hmm. and StoryBrand kind of helped you with that. We got to be friends. You were going to write a book, or I kind of wanted you to write a book. I can't remember. Yeah. And because going to bed one night, you told me what you wanted the book to be about. I'm going to bed one night, and I'm kind of like, if Scott writes that book, I don't even remember what we were talking about. It's like, I don't want to read that book. What I want to read is Scott telling me how to win. <laughs> Scott <laughs> yeah. knows how to win. Well, I kind of had to figure it out. I want to know how to win. Yeah. And I told it to my wife. And of course, we know your wife. And it was like, we weren't even worried about you. We're like, is Tracy going to go for this? If Scott just writes a book that says how to win, <laughs> do we still get to keep Tracy as a friend? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you did it. This book is called Finish First, because that's what I wanted to know. I wanted to know- Winning changes everything. That's the subtitle. Winning changes everything. And it's something that, can we just go there? Mm -hmm. It's something that- we already anticipated there would be some resistance to this book because we live in a culture that says you're good as you are, you should be comfortable as you are, stop feeling the pressure, start being okay. And I think there's an enormous place for that. I well, mean, I think there's course. a balance, yeah. but that's not what my soul wants to do. Well, I know. My it's, soul I think, wants to finish first. You know, just thinking back on my grade school days, I just want a recognition. You know, I just wanted to be good at something. I didn't want to be the last one picked in sports anymore. I didn't want to be the guy that was sort of overlooked. You know, I watch all these other people get accolades of, you know, doing something really good or doing something really well, like the smartest kid in my grade or the best athlete in my grade. And it was just, I want something. I just want like the prize or everybody wants to win something at a fair or you want to win the game or you're playing cards and you want to win, you know, all those different things. And there's always that burning desire in us that we just want to be, you want to feel that kind of glow of success in something, no matter what it is. Anything you approach, you just want to feel just that you did yes. it well or you were successful. And so this basically breaks it down. It's like, here's what you need here's to do. Here's how to do it. Here's an argument for it, right? right because right. we live in a society that doesn't really embrace that. It's like, first things first, you're not a winner. <laughs> you know? <laughs> not yet. You got to acknowledge it. Or maybe you are. But if you're picking up this book, it's mean you really want to kind of figure out ways of taking the next step towards your greatest success. I think there's, before we get into how to do it, because this interview is going to be about your lessons and how to actually become a winner. Mm -hmm. Let me preface all of this conversation by saying, if you lose a lot, I don't think you're any less valuable of a human being no, in the eyes not. of God than anybody. Let me just say that. 
if you struggle with that, you know, if you lose and you feel like a loser and you feel like nobody should love you and you feel like that's a whole different thing. Mm -hmm. And I've been there 30 years ago, whatever. I went through that. Yeah, I went through that. (laughs) But I ain't there anymore. I have good self-esteem and now I like the idea of winning at some things because for no other reason than it just sounds more fun than losing. (laughs) (laughs) It's like Randall Tex Cobb, the boxer. He said the one thing about winning and losing is winning hurts less. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's absolutely true. And, you know, we have this habit. We have this fun time here at the office. We go play Frisbee golf out of our back door. There's like a field and you go hit this tree. You probably played with us before. And I lose every round because the two of the guys on staff are tall with long arms. I don't kick myself going, I'm such a loser at Frisbee golf. I have fun. Yeah. There are other things that I win at. That, you know, if those two guys sit down and try to write a book, I'm going to beat them. Well, let's just say you they know, so work for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes. Yeah, yeah let's I mean, just say sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> I tend to do what they tell me. But at the same time, so we're not talking about it's not okay to be a loser at anything. We're basically saying there are some things that it would be really great for you, for your self-esteem, mm-hmm. for your relationships, for your enjoyment of life, for maybe Quality your physical health, yeah. for the amount of money that you make. If you just said to yourself, I want to be a winner at this, it's okay if I lose, but I'm not going to willingly lose. I'm going to go for it. That's what this book is about. But even just that, failure is the greatest thing ever. You know, and Because it helps you become a winner. You it, say that, it you does. Talk about that I mean, but I, I look at failure and most people go, I don't want to do that. I may not be good at that. I don't want to do that because I, I might fail. And then you know, look at that. It's like, well, no, that's the greatest thing ever. I mean, if we're able to flip it upside down and just sort of say, you know what? Embrace failure. You cannot avoid failure, right? Not trying is its own form of failure, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. if you go to the point where you're going to really embrace failure as a part of learning, as a part of growing, as a part of succeeding, if you had like a pie chart, right in front of you, the single largest ingredient of success would be failure. Ask Thomas Edison. Ask, you know, all these people that have done great things, and they'll tell you the greatest single ingredient of success is failure. So if we... And so if you can get used to it, if you you can can psychologically be okay with it, let it roll off your back and go. Learning from it and being inspired by it instead of being defeated by it, that'll help you kind of take the next steps forward and not be completely smothered under this idea like, I can't do this. Yeah. I mean, I've come in last. I've fallen in front of... 17,500 people five times in my first national. Like, no, no, I, I let it go. It doesn't really mean anything to me anymore. But, you know, it's just that. It's like you look back on, because I'm the least likely person to ever be talking about winning, especially with the way I grew up, with my very humble kind of environment. I live in a very small town. My parents were school teachers, didn't have great means. They didn't also have an athletic mindset. I didn't have access to great coaches. You know, it's just sort of like, the recipe wasn't there for me to be the last guy to go undefeated for four years. None of that was there. But it was funny because as I decided to like change things, and you know, the big catalyst was I was sick of losing. And the other catalyst was when I lost my mom, you know, mm-hmm. it really was a wake-up call. Yeah. It's like she sacrificed everything for me to do this. You talk about this switch from trying to survive, winning as a means of survival to winning as an expression of your passion. You talk about that in the book. Self-preservation was no longer your primary concern. You talk about that as a paradigm shift. And we're getting ahead a little bit because I want to back up. But since you've already gone there, walk me through how losing your mom made self-preservation no longer the primary concern. And it was something else. Like most 18-year-olds, I was suffering from the trifecta, which is I was sponsored. Yeah. I got my own apartment and I was 18 years old. 
I had so you had equipped. money, you had freedom, and you didn't have a brain yet. That's a trifecta, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it was a perfect recipe for absolute failure. But you know, the thing is, failure in that respect is my mom sacrificed everything. She never bought any clothes for herself. She never did anything for herself. It was all about her children. There were three of us, and I took the most because skating, you know, it tends to right, get expensive yeah. after a while. And she just kept me in it because it saved my life early because I was very sick as a child. But, you know, when she died, I was ninth in the nation. And it wasn't because... Which is still pretty incredible. I mean, well, you're not if you're a guy. Kind of if you're there. a girl and you medal in skating, you're really good. If you're a guy and you don't medal in skating, it's, <laughs> it's not that great. Not okay? Yeah. It's just, uh, okay. There's a little not so great that goes along with that. But being ninth when I should have been better than that. It wasn't like there were eight better guys than me. It was just there were eight guys that beat this guy that didn't know how to train, didn't know how to be accountable, didn't know how to show up, didn't know how to kind of tune things out when it was time to get things done. And it's just building muscles. You know, it's like building any kind of muscle. It's like when you work out, you get a little sore at first and then you kind of build muscles. But what I realized out of losing her was that it's time for me to put my big boy pants on and just get to work. I want to back up there a little bit. You're in an apartment. You've got your freedom. You're 18. You lose your mom. I want to try to experience that a little bit vicariously here. Obviously, an extremely painful time, Mm. but you got this gift right there of realizing life was different than you thought. When you say, time to put my big boy pants on, was it because you realized, I'm wasting my human experience here? Was it because you realized life could be really beautiful and I'm not making the most of it? What was the paradigm shift that made you want to put the big boy pants on? Whenever I have a big event in my life, you know, and I have to sort it out, I go for a walk. Okay. And in my walk, the morning I lost my mom, we lived out in the country in a pond in our backyard, and I just kept walking around the pond. It was May, and weather was decent. You know, I was walking around the pond. And I had a choice. I could go low road or high road. I could go to low road of feeling so sorry for myself that I was going to drown my sorrows in drugs and alcohol, whatever I could do, you know, whatever, I could go that route, or I could live for her, I could honor her, I could take her with me everywhere I went, and in that way, you know, sort of make it right, or be the person that she always thought I could be. It was a much healthier approach to just sort of take her with me wherever I went, and to be accountable to her even though she was no longer physically with us. Yeah. I had two roads to go, only two roads. There and wasn't you, a third you felt road. it that binary as you walked around the pond. You yeah. felt like we're going to go one of two directions today. I got on the phone that day, and I called my coach in Denver, and I just said, a different person's coming back. Be prepared. That day you phoned your coach? Yeah. My goodness, Scott. And he goes, yeah, yeah, right. Okay, that's fine. I'm so sorry, blah, blah, blah. I got back, and I absolutely drove him so insane that he sent me to Canada for the summer. <laughs> Wait, you got back, you drove him so insane, you just said, hey, we're going to do that no, again? No, I want more. Gonna... Give me more. I want more. Give me as everything you possibly can give me. And he thought, I can't take this. I've got all these other students. This boy's driving me insane. Go to Canada, get your programs done, work with Neil, work with Ronnie, and come back at the end. You'll have your programs. You'll be ready to go. That coach at that time wasn't realizing, I need to drop all my other students. This guy's going to win the Olympic gold. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. He didn't see it. He didn't see it. So when I came back from Canada that summer, I was loaded to the gills with jumps that hadn't been done before. I had one jump that had never been done in short program before. How long were you in Canada? I was there for about six weeks. Six. And you came back with jumps you'd never done before. Mm-hmm. And he was just like, whoa, this is cool. So I started my competitive year 
early fall, and I did the regionals, which is the country's nine regions, and I did triplets in the short program, and it was like, okay, there was tremors in the senior men's event now because I was doing something that hadn't been done before, and I had really good programs, and it was just sort of a statement that I'm ready to take on anybody that, you know, Did I you can. know then that you had in you Olympic gold? Did no. somebody else see it before you saw no. it? No. My whole thing was... I'm going to be as good as I can possibly be, and I'm going to just let the chips fall where they will. Our friend Bob Goff calls it palms up, right? Yeah. Like just holding life in your hand, palms up, yeah. don't clinch to it. You know, if somebody's going to take it away, that's okay. You had that kind of palms up attitude. I didn't know where were I stood. Were you more in love with the work than you were with the potential result? I think it was equal at that time because I wanted to know who I was now. And it was this process of, you know, doing triple odds, doing all these jumps and setting up my programs so that they'd be really like wow factor. Yeah. And people always saw that, well, maybe I have some ability. Maybe there's something there. I had the right body type. I had this, whatever. It just wasn't coming together. And then that year in 1978, it kind of came together for the first time. And it was right out of my mother's passing. And so there was a lot of people looking in kind of how's this going to work? Because my mother was very popular. Everybody loved my mom. She was In the a great skating lady. community? Oh, everybody. You know, yeah. She was just a great lady. And to this day, I'll meet people that she counseled through you know, issues when they were in college, and they just loved her. And I don't go a day without thinking about her. So it became this thing where I wanted to see where I stood. And I knew that if I had this jump, I was going to beat a lot of guys because they didn't have that jump. And I just wanted to know where I stood. And it was really funny. I, I won the regionals, and I go to the sectionals. And that year was the first year they made all the top three guys go back to their section. And it was just sort of a coincidence that all three of the top guys were from the Midwest section. So I'm going to compete against all three of the best guys with this new tooled me. <laughs> I drew first to skate in the short program, which is really the worst place to skate. And because of nerves or because the ice is too slick it's or the what? Marks. What's the you know, they have to hold marks for the best skaters. They uh. have to do, you know, all these things. And so my sponsor, who is amazing, this great guy, he just said, Well, you know, in the Bible it says the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. And I looked at him and I said, I have I'm first. absolutely <laughs> no idea what you're talking about. But all that, I'm going first. So you're saying I'm going to be last. Yeah, yeah. So I went out and I won the short program, and all of a sudden they were going, wait, wait, wait. We don't have any rules that protect our top three guys from actually going to nationals anyway. And so they had to create all these, because I ended up coming in third, knocking one of the top three guys off in the competition. They were like, well, now what do we do? This guy's top three in the country, and he's like ranked in the world. We can't just not let him go to nationals. So wow, yeah, that was not in their forethought. That no, you would they didn't be going. think about it. They knew that they're going to make everybody go back to sectionals to get another competition in, but they didn't think about anything else. So they worked it out. Everybody got to go, you know, the top three and then the next three got to go to nationals. And then from then on, it was just sort of game on, but it, you know, so much of injecting kind of success in your life is just deciding that I'm ready I'm ready for something else. I've asked this question to a bunch of leaders, and Pete Carroll is the only one that I'm convinced actually told me the truth. So I won't name the other leaders, but, <laughs> but Pete Carroll told me the truth. I always ask, did you know at an early age that you were going to do something really special? I'm not asking, did you suspect or did you hope? Did you know? And Pete Carroll told me, I knew. Mm-hmm. I knew when I was a kid. I was 120 pounds, was not allowed to play football, had to get a doctor's note because <laughs> I was so light. Yeah. And he said, I knew I was bigger than the my body. The least likely one, yeah. David versus Goliath. <laughs> I knew I was bigger than my body. And during this season, I won't go into your childhood, but during this season, 
they weren't expecting you to move past sectionals. They weren't expecting—your coach wasn't firing all of his other students so that he could just work with you because he knew you were Olympic gold. Nobody knew, but did you? I mean, did you know deep inside, or were you just saying, I'm just going to be the best I can possibly be? I really don't care what happens. I had this fantasy when I was on the novice level, when I was coming in dead last mm-hmm. in the country, that, yeah. you know, someday— you know, like I was walking out of a porch. I remember it really well. I was leaving the rink after a practice session, and there was this music that was really popular at the time, and I was had it in my head, and I was like, when they do my life story, I want this kind of to be my, you know, the music, you know, and I just started, who cares about me? What am, you know, so there's these thoughts that maybe is there something special? Then the reality kicks in and says, I'm nobody. Why would anybody care about me? And then you kind of go back to, you know, doing your thing. But I remember that vividly that someday when they do this story of my life, this is the moment that's going to kick it off when I'm running out after a practice in this beautiful sunshine, this rustic rink in Northern Illinois. And this is the beginning of everything. But at the same time, it was really the beginning of me coming in dead last and falling five times in front of 17,500 people. So it's a paradox is what you're saying. It really is because I think we all have that where we want that recognition. We want to do something special. We want to have something in our lives that's truly where we know that we tested ourselves and that we know we came out the other side. And you know, I'm not somebody who cares whether I won. Mm-hmm. I really don't. I think but I can honestly say that. you care if you succeed. I care about not regretting I didn't try. <laughs> okay. I mean, I really yeah, care about that's that. that's the other side you of know, that. You know, so like I want to run for office someday. I'm getting more and more into just studying this stuff and thinking, man, I just really want to have an influence like this. It's the one of the one things where if I don't run for office, I know you're going to regret that. But then I think if I run and I don't win, I don't know that I really care. I mean, you can still influence the world in many, many ways other than that one. Mm-hmm. I guess I want to say to the audience that I wonder how much of us there's this thing saying, and it's getting bigger and bigger, hey, listen, time is listen ticking. If it. you don't listen start now, you will have never tried. Let me just read some of the titles of your chapters. I'm just so excited about this. <laughs> and one of the reasons I'm excited, Scott, is because, and I actually, you gave me the great honor of writing the forward for this. I was in Mexico and I wrote this forward. I got up at like four in the morning and went to this lobby. I love lobby your forward. It's really and good. And with tears in my eyes, kind of wrote this forward because here's the book that I've always wanted to read, right? And it's the book that basically is from a guy who knows how to win and he's going to help you win, but he's not judgmental. No. And that is a very hard person to find. Mm-hmm. It's a very hard person to find a coach who's going to keep pushing you, but you're not going to feel bad about being who you really are if who you really are isn't going to win. Yeah. You know, chapter one, why you aren't a winner yet. yet. <laughs> <laughs> dot, 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 yet. Chapter yeah. two, we're going to get into some of this. Know your purpose. Chapter three, break the pattern of losing. Yeah. Chapter four, commit to the long haul. Five, keep showing up. Six, overcome your limitations. Seven, Outwork everyone. I think that's my favorite. And one of the reasons that's my favorite is because it puts the control on you. Mm-hmm. You can't outskill everyone. You can't out DNA. Well, read them again because everyone. every one of those is on you. You're right. right. Keep showing up is on yeah. you. Commit to the long haul is on you. Yeah. Eight, ditch fear and celebrate failure. Nine, edit your critics. Ooh, I need to read that one. <laughs> Ten, play by the rules of the game. Eleven, never look back. Twelve, winning changes everything. If you want all of it, you got to buy the book. Again, the book's finished first, but can we do a little summary of a few of them? Sure, yeah. I'll be back with the rest of my interview with Scott Hamilton in just a moment. Scott Hamilton's book, Finish First, which, by the way, again, is very good. We have no financial stake in that book. It's just a very good book. I'd recommend you go get it. It was written after Scott went through a process where he created a story brand brand script. That is, 
seven categories of essential questions that you need to answer in order to understand what you're trying to say. If you've ever been confused about what you're trying to say, whether you're writing a book, whether you're having to write a landing page on a website, whether you're writing an email blast, whether you're creating a lead generating PDF, whether you're just trying to get your kids to go to bed in a way that's convincing, you need to create a brand script. And you can do that for free using our online software at mystorybrand.com, mystorybrand.com. If you have a vision at all, if you have anything that you're trying to accomplish and you're a little confused about how to say it, a short exercise at mystorybrand.com, which again is completely free, a short exercise will give you clarity. You'll turn that clarity into all manner of marketing collateral, maybe even a book of your own. Just go to mystorybrand.com and create a brand script today. All right, why am I not a winner yet, Scott? Well, you know, because most people haven't tapped into their deepest potential. You know, Do they not doing, believe it's there? Well, I think it's they know it's there, but they just don't have a guide. They don't have a way forward. You know, they're stuck. I think a lot of people are stuck. They've been told, you're fine. You know, you're good. You're fine. You're great. And they are. But the thing is, I think with a lot of us, we have this thing within us. It's like, I think there's more in the tank than what I'm really putting out there. And I think I'm playing it safe. I had a friend who built a really strong business and his dad invented the business and it was a business that needed to exist that didn't. And he told his son on his deathbed, he goes, get off the bench. Get off the wow. bench. yeah. On get his deathbed. Get off the bench. Bed. Yeah, he said, get off the bench. For my friend, it was like, holy cow, he's right. I'm just sitting on the bench. I'm waiting to get called. And it said it ignited a passion in him that he never knew he had before. And that was the fact that he was doing fine. I mean, he had a great marriage, two beautiful, healthy children. He was just being successful in that. He was doing really well in his dad's business. But now his dad said, this one's on you. You need to take it to the next level. Get off the bench. How do you respond to that? I'm curious, your friend. It ignited him. I mean, he went yeah. crazy. And he's now he's built this gigantic business. He's very influential in international skating. I mean, it was a match that you know, kind of ignited How do you balance the message that in some ways is good, I'm not all for it, but in some ways it's good, this, a culture that to some degree, not to a big degree, but to some degree, raised their kids to get a trophy for finishing ninth place in the community soccer tournament versus teaching our kids, either you're not good at this, so let's find something else, or you simply didn't measure up to your potential, and that's upsetting. It's upsetting to your parents a little bit. It should be upsetting to you. I mean, even as I say that, I kind of go, ooh, that just feels so... Well, it, it's what, hard. How do you balance I mean, it's that? Harsh. It's harsh. You have children, you have four I have, kids. Yeah, and I tell them all the time. You know, like I look at them, I go, what's the greatest strength? And they repeat immediately a lack of weakness, right? <laughs> so we always have to chip away at stuff. We'll get to that. But as far as this year, ninth place, you get the participation trophy. It's like you're rewarded for not, you know, being, you know, one of the big... And without that incentive, we're killing people, right? It's like my son was in flag football, 11-1. and one. The team that beat them, they ended up beating for the you know, last game, the championship, and everybody got the same trophy. And I was like, okay, that doesn't really resonate with me because they all got the same thing when wouldn't it help somebody to know that they'd love to get that trophy and what would it take for them to get it? The first year I competed on the novice level, which is the first level to go to the nationals, I missed it by one place. Mm. And without missing it by one place... I probably wouldn't have made all the choices that I had to make in order to get to the nationals the next year. But it's like, yeah, okay, I'm ninth. How do I change that? And I figured out how to change that, but it took another ninth, <laughs> it took a seventh, <laughs> and then another ninth. 
But it's this constant pursuit of, I want to be better. I want to do better. You know, what's holding me back? What is preventing me from being the person that I really want to be? It's not just about succeeding in education, business, athletics, whatever your pursuit is. It's not about that. It's about being the best you that you've ever been. And that's one thing that I don't want people to misunderstand about the book. It's not about, here's a guide to winning a competition or getting an A in school. It is, but it's not just about that. It's about why do we love the Olympic movement? Hmm. Because we see people being better than they've ever been before. Hmm. And they work to get there and it inspires us. It really, it makes us happy. And we're living vicariously through them. So why not? Why not? Just for a minute, why not? Just step into those shoes and just say, okay, what do I need to do? Because I've always wanted to do X. What do I need to do to do that? And I try to address all of that in this book. But the first thing is to recognize you're not where you need to be. And you got to admit it. You got to be okay with it. And you got to ignite a fire to say, I want to do this differently. Mm -hmm. Really, what I hear you saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you had a years long fight for your own identity. Who am I really? Am I ninth? Am I potentially first? And there's a long fight to get there. And identity doesn't change fast. And it's a big why not, too. Yeah, why not be first? Why not? Why not? Oh, I love that. <laughs> All right. Can we just go to one of my favorites? Outwork mm-hmm. everyone. Yeah. You talk about having a healthy sense of ownership yep. as being the standard for outworking everyone. What do you mean by healthy sense of ownership? Page 86. It's your pursuit. Right. So there's all these distractions, there's all these habits, there's all these things that we have every day in our lives that prevent us from being successful. So it's like every morning I'd have to get up and I'd have to be on the ice at 530 to do trace compulsory figure eights. Right. I have to do that every morning. So let's say... You're on the ice at 5.30 and you're doing a figure eight for how long? Well, I would train that morning for a few hours and then I'd go home, have lunch, go back and train for a few more hours, right? right? So I was on the ice a lot in a day, but that first practice in the day kind of sets up the quality of the rest of the day. Say I get a a call from a friend, hey, you want to go out partying tonight? Uh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Well, come on, it's going to be a blast, we're all going to do this, or somebody calls and says, you want to go to a movie? It's going to end at 11.30, but you know, it's the greatest thing ever. Uh, no, it's just, you've got to outwork everybody. You've got to be on time every day. You got to be the first one on. And it's just part of the process of all the ingredients again of success. A big part of it is you've got to do your part. You've got to show up every day intending to do the best work you can. You know, I have a lot of discipline as a writer and I have a lot of discipline in my business life. And, you know, people from the outside would say that I have a lot of discipline. Did you always have it? No. Ah. <laughs> no. I, I mean, I've had to learn it. And it's also yeah. shifted. I used to write at night when I was in the mood. Now I write at 6 a.m., right? Yeah. It doesn't matter what your mood is. You just go. But one thing I've learned is in a different realm, because I've lost a ton of weight. I actually wrote that in your forward. I'm trying to finish losing the rest of the weight this year. I think I have about 25 pounds to lose. And then I'm done. Yeah. Well, looking long... at you, are you going to cut off a limb? I mean, how are you going to do this? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. But believe it or not, it's there. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's a lot of weight to lose. One of the things that I've told myself recently, I actually, I drive 15 minutes to a gym and I swim for between 40 minutes and an hour almost every morning. I never feel like it, especially when it's 10 degrees outside and I'm wearing yeah. shorts, right? But into you the do truck. it anyway. Well, the thing that I told myself is you're not going to be in the mood until the third lap. So go to where the mood is because <laughs> <laughs> it ain't here in this bed. Yeah. And then you're going to love it. Somehow that works because I just go, by the third lap, you're actually like, man, I just feel so good. I'm glad I did this. Yeah. And I don't know, that was a little trick. If that helps you, but there you it, go. It, it helps all not you, that. but it helps the listeners. But it helps the listeners, yeah. But it's like, you know, just getting into a pattern of working as you know hard as you can. For us, you know, my coach used to say that ice time isn't gold, it's platinum. It's more precious than gold. 
Mm. You know, you can't waste a minute. You can't show up late. You can't, you know, just sort of talk the first 20 minutes of a session because then it's halfway over. And then what have you got left? You, you know, get, it's like, get, down to work. get on, do your thing, get off. And then whatever you do away from the ice, make sure it doesn't affect what you're able to do on the ice. And he didn't want my skates to be without touching ice for more than 24 hours. So I would skate every day. And I would even do a short session on Sunday afternoon just to keep my feet on the ice, just right. to keep all those little muscles that support the big muscles ignited and continuing to go. But it's all about intention, decision, commitment, you know, all those things, which really, they sound like horrible words, but I like to replace hard work sacrifice, dedication with commitment and repetition. Yeah. I'm starting to Isn't learn that. Isn't that friendly? I mean, it's much yeah. more friendly. And it's like, I can do commitment and repetition. That's easy. Hard work, you know, sacrifice. <laughs> Ugh, who'd want to do that? But it's really, it's just getting into a new pattern of living, a new pattern of identifying yourself. This is who I am now. Yeah. And part of that is, is just getting into a new routine and making sure that you do it with intention and with honesty and integrity. And man, the results just come immediately. I'm so glad to hear that because I was literally just thinking about that today of sort of reverse engineering this year's goals and stop measuring lag measures. So stop getting on the scale and measuring weight. It's too late to do something about your weight if you already weighed at it, right? But instead say, I'm going to measure lead measures. How many days did you not eat till noon? How many days did you not eat any sugar? And how many days have you been in the pool? That's all I'm going to measure. Yeah. And I'm not going to look at weight anymore. And just those routines, I'm trusting will actually oh, of course. lead to... Okay. Yeah. All right. There's two more I want to cover. Yeah. One is edit your critics. Yeah. Talk to me about that. Oh, man. That's huge, especially Chapter nine, by today. The way. We can be crushed by just somebody saying the wrong thing, mm -hmm. right? Or we're crushed by our news cycles. You know, we lack hope. You know, it's just all this stuff, social media, you know, everything. I've been told time and time again, everybody that knows me knows that I'm just really just this five foot three bald guy. <laughs> you know, I mean, where do I get to stand up and say, no, this is kind of a cool way to live. You know, it really is great. But it's being told I was too short to ever be competitive in skating. And it was there, it kind of hit, again, that fork in the road. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Okay, now I have to separate fact from opinion. Is that, in mm, fact, yeah. true that I'm too short to be competitive to on the international the level? And it's like, well, we'll see. Okay, I'm just going to put that one in the we'll see. And I'm just going to go out and I'm going to skate as hard as I can. And what I found out was, no. You know, that's someone's opinion that they like to see someone really tall and really... But I can almost disguise that on the ice because it's not like I'm holding something that's going to be a reference, right? <laughs> right I can yeah. stand up taller. I can extend greater. I can wear one color that doesn't break me and make me look smaller. I can do things that allow me to be sort of nondescript as far as height, you know, or anything else. Weight, that's a hard You're one. You're not going to hide that. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. not in spandex. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but, you know, you go out and you just compete as hard as you can and you do what it takes in order to be successful and you do it time and time again, pretty soon either you're going to wear people out and they're going to finally come over to your side or they're going to instantly see that that's right. Going on social media, my goodness, you can be completely pummeled, especially you're very visible, you're very familiar, you release books all the time. This last book was a business book. What did your followers say about that? <laughs> well, before the business book, they were saying, hey, stay in your lane. Stay in your lane, right? And I'm a big stay in my lane kind of guy. Maybe not so much with this. 
<laughs> but oh, I think this is your but new it's lane, like, buddy. You know, you have all kinds of input coming at you all the time. And the main thing you have to do is like look at it and say, Will this help me? Paul Wiley is a great example. This great, I mean, dear, dear friend. Always on, you know, the internet when it was brand new, he was on it looking at all these, you know, chat rooms and everything else and about you know, skating and all that. And he's like, Do you know what they're saying about us? And I go, no. And he goes, they were counting my falls yesterday in practice. It's September. And they're counting my falls. They're up there in the stands right now counting my falls. And I was like, that's not very nice. And he <laughs> goes, oh. And I go, let's just take a step back. Whatever they write, is that going to affect the way you approach things? And he goes, no. And I go, whatever they write, is that going to affect your intention? He goes, no. I go, then what difference does it make? It's worthless. If it has nothing to offer you, if it's correcting or if it's inspiring, if it's going to make you better, if it's going to make you, if it's not going to do either, then it has no value. And so we got to look at everything coming our way. If a you know a teacher says you're lazy, is it fact or is it opinion? You know, do they know what I do every day? Do they know what my life is at home? Do they know any of those things? So a lot of it is just sifting through the information to see does it apply? Is it fair or is it just noise. And it's not just outside critics, it's internal. It's you too, yeah, your yeah. own criticism. Is it saying, fact? Am I saying to myself a fact yeah. or am I giving myself an opinion? Exactly. Can I allow myself to surprise myself? Exactly. <laughs> Do I allow myself to surprise myself? I give myself permission. 100%. All right, finally, chapter 12 of the book, the final chapter in the book, Winning Changes Everything. Scott, why does winning change everything? What did it change for you? Well, you know, you look at if you're a student and you're really struggling in something and you decide to go all in, like math. Everybody says, oh, I hate math, right? And all of a sudden you realize that I think if it's just a lot about repetition and if it's just about doing it over and over again to build that muscle in my brain, I can get good at math. And then you, all of a sudden you get an A in math. Well, wow. Now an A student in math, which now turns into the next day gets a little bit easier because you know the process to that A. Now you're getting A's in bunches. A's in bunches means you get into a better college. Mm. Getting into a better college and yeah. knowing how to it's do it the... gets you a better job, which gives your children a better future. So with me, it was just those first initial wins, those first initial third places, those first initial, you know, getting out in front of an audience and having them go, oh, we need to take this kid seriously. Even that was just one of those things where now it's starting to change the way I live, the way that people look at me, the opportunities that come my way. And you know, I, I think I say this pretty well in the book. It's not a destination. Hmm. It's truly like this win, this victory, whatever that is, whether it's just a small one of just showing up every day, it makes the next victory possible. So you're building your war chest of these victories, and it can just start off with step one, step two. You know, like getting up in the morning, I got to go swim. Lap three is going to be great. Right? <laughs> Lap three is going to feel good. Lap three is going to feel good. So it's fun. just, that's a win. That's a victory. Yeah. And then that victory turns into lap four. It's lap a foundation for everything else. And, you know, when I look back on all the great things I've got to do in life, now I had some great memories, some wonderful life experiences before it happened, but all the leverage from just that first best selling book, you take away that, everything else is gone. Everything else is gone because it was the leverage of, well, you know, I've got a bit of a name, so I can go call this guy and they'll answer the phone. Or I go speak here and some people show up. Or yeah. I get to write another book, but I get an extra year to write it because they know they're going to make some money. Out. And we don't think of that as winning just as a foundation for a lot of other things. Right. And one thing that makes that message really wonderful, because there are people saying, well, what if you're not a winner, is that you don't believe that anybody has the DNA of a loser. No. You don't believe it. We all have and a so purpose. And so this whole idea of, well, that's great for you, Don, you're a winner— 
well, no, I was stupid enough to think that I could do it. And nobody got to me and said, but Don, you don't have the DNA of a winner. I'm so glad they never got to me. (laughs) And it's true. It's not just about finishing first and winning changes. Everything isn't about being famous. It's not about doing it. It's about really getting in touch with who you are and what your purpose is. And then really being good to that purpose, being true to that purpose, being dedicated to that purpose. You know, God created us all uniquely. I mean, mm-hmm. none of us are identical. None of us are exactly the same. So what do we have to offer our community uniquely that really will change everything? Yeah. We'll just change the way that we live, change the way that people look at themselves, change the way that people live for each day as an opportunity, not some sort of thing just to be, you know, I'm going to breathe till the end of the day and then I'm going to go to sleep because I hate my life. Well, no, it's... We can fix that. And all it takes is step one, which is its own victory. Step two is another victory. Step three is another victory. It's responding to your purpose and just doing it as well as you possibly can, and it will change your life. The book is called Finish First. If you've been listening to this interview and you want Scott to be your personal coach or want more of that voice of not just encouragement and acceptance, but also get off the bench. (laughs) Get off the bench. Let's get some work done. I want you to go get this book. If you want your life to be completely different three months from now than it is right now, again, the book is finished first. Go on Amazon and grab the book today. Scott, this has been one of the most encouraging and inspirational conversations I've had in a long time, partly because I think we captured a little bit of what you've meant to me personally and your voice has meant in my life. I'm very grateful. We're all in this together. JJ, there you go. Do you ever feel like you sort of could have done parallel lives? You're obviously very successful here at StoryBrand, but you could have also been the Olympic curler in another life. I mean... Do you want both? Yeah, I do want both. And I don't think that I'm wrong for asking for that. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not wrong. Maybe not realistic. Yeah, but... But Yeah. But I think it would be a minor complaint to God that he would actually consider... Yeah, but you know I've actually never been curling, right? You've never done it? No. I was going to go for my birthday. We rented on Ice Rink, and then it didn't work. And I did join the Southern California Curling Association. I remember that. But you told me that. No, I've never actually been curling. Are you a good ice skater? I've never been ice skating. Are you a good roller skater? Sure. I've done that. Yeah. I can Do you roller you blade? You, well, you know that you don't use ice skates when you curl. You use shoes. Like you're Is on, that true? Yeah. Do you use like golf shoes? No, it's a special shoe. That helps you like, like sandpaper push on and it. stuff. And you're like, it's kind of like, think bocce ball on ice. Um, yeah. And so you're like rolling the curling stone towards the middle circle. I am truly fascinated by your fascination with something that I don't find fascinating. Watch it with And me. you're going to tell me what's happening. Yeah. Canada, both men and women are supposed to do really well. There's an outside shot for the U.S. men's gold. I mean, to get in the medals, but we'll Are see. there like 17 of you in a Facebook group that talk no, about this? Nope. I just sit by myself and watch <laughs> every hour of curling during Is the there Olympics. a magazine? Do you get curling magazines? There are calendars. <laughs> I have purchased curling calendars in the past. <laughs> do you ever get confused? Like people, maybe five minutes in, they thought you were going to talk about curling their hair with a curling iron and then- it would turn no. out to be something else. No, it's pretty obvious. It's contextual. I only bring it up when it's important. <laughs> All right. I may watch curling with you. I would need oh. a bit of whiskey. I'm fine with that. I'll bring the whiskey and the curling tapes, right. and right. we'll watch them. We'll do it. You can explain curling to me. And hey, I mean, it may shut down the company. Yes. You and I may go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Decree. Yeah. 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 Like, I didn't know. Yeah, about curling. curling was this amazing, yes. But I don't think it's going to happen. Well, yeah, let's see. Music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. You can listen to Andrew's new record, Dive Deep, on Spotify or on iTunes. 
Thanks, as always, for listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to win at curling.